0: Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now.
1: Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from NAPA online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's NAPA know-how. NAPA know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. Well,
2: it's episode 30. It's rule of two. And Mark Fernandez is not in sight, but who we do have <laughs> is P Nimmie herself, Perry Nemiroff, coming in. it too. How are you? Thank I'm, you for joining I'm me. I'm honored
3: to steal uh, Fernandez's seat for a yeah, week. This yeah, yeah, kind of nice.
2: I'm very excited. Uh, I saw, you know, Mark Fernandez will be back next week. Everyone, he's on some Sith business right now, and uh, he uh, he he tweeted out the other night and said Perry Nemiroff is taking over. So I'm so happy that you are here, Perry. We're going to get into a couple Star Wars topics, but this is the cold open of Rule of Two, episode thirty. And what I'm going to do real quick is I want to give a shout out to uh, a gentleman by the name of Adam at AC Custom Figures. That's at AC Custom Figures on Instagram. Uh, because Adam was nice enough to create uh not he's been he's a fan of the show, Rule of Two. And he said, uh, and he contacted me one day, and he said, "Hey, you want your own action figure?" And I said, "Well, yes." <laughs> and then, uh, unfortunately, when when uh, my boy Cal passed away, uh, I had to, you know, take you know some moments to get over it and whatnot, and I'll never be over it. But he then sent me a message, and he had created Cal, an action figure of Cal,
3: that to is go along the coolest thing
2: with my own action figure. And uh, the two of them are now. He is. A, he created a story. Uh, created this uh, figure. He is. A, he once was a dark side user that saw the light. Came back. Is now a gray Jedi bound in the Force with Cal, his trusty Force sensitive dog sidekick.
3: This sounds so right.
2: It's so right. And we travel the galaxy helping others uh, as good Jedi do. So I just wanted to give a shout out. That is at AC Custom Figures. Please visit him on Instagram. This is one of the most incredibly kind gifts I've ever received, one of the best action figures I've ever received. I mean I have like stormtrooper boots. I have my own bowcaster. I have a gun. I have a lightsaber. I have a metal hand and uh, metal parts, and uh, I I have actually played with this. Uh, at home, uh much to the chagrin of my fiance
3: I totally believe that, and <laughs> I understand because that is hands down one of the coolest things I've ever seen
2: it It really is one of the nicest, coolest things. so a fan of the show, uh Adam Crone, thank you very, very much. everybody at home listening right now or watching this video again at a c custom figures. Check it out. Thank you, Adam. And with that, Perry, we got a couple topics, some Star Wars topics to get to. It's episode thirty of Rule of Two. Are you gonna do No, I'll do
3: it. Wait, what? Rise. Oh. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes, welcome one and all. It is episode 30 of Rula 2 here on Jedi Council's Podcast One feed and on Collider Videos. We have the full video up, episode 30, Rula 2. And as you heard at the cold open, Perry Nemiroff joining me for Mark Fernandez. How are you?
3: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me today. Yeah,
2: this is going to be fun. I gave the shout out to Adam. Thank you again. But we have some Star Wars topics to, to get to because uh, as fans know, we, Fernandez and I like to come in and we wing it. We just just like to talk Star Wars. I
3: learned that lesson last time I came in.
2: (laughs) You did. Because you
3: you primed me on a whole uh, topic. We never even touched it. I don't
2: think we touched it. I don't even remember
3: what it was. I
2: don't either. Uh, Sometimes we just talk about Star Wars like we'll go off of Twitter question or we'll go off of uh, just a topic and we like to go down the rabbit hole. We love to talk about Star Wars. We talk about everything and the story especially. We always get into uh, the story, the mythology, uh, the hero's journey, what have you. So we're going to do the same. We're going to do the same. However, per Mark Fernandez who tweeted at us last night, Mm -hmm. let's start here because uh, Mark Hamill was talking again. I don't know if you saw this, Perry.
3: I saw the brief preview in your text message.
2: Mm-hmm. So Mark Hamill uh, has made it known that uh, he had his own thoughts about his character and the Last Jedi, and I hear him. And I it 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 opens up tends to open up a floodgate of uh, comments of like either see or I told you or you know I'm glad that didn't happen. I like Luke's journey, and you know we know. The Last Jedi was very divisive and um, I loved it. I know you liked it and we're here to say that's great. That's fine. But I want to go over these comments just a bit because I want to play both sides. I'm going to try to be very, very um, down the middle on this because I did read these and one, I I disagree with some of them. But I'm also kind of jumping into the mindset of a man that has embraced his following, has embraced his legacy of this character and is very protective of it and that mm-hmm. is something to absolutely uh, commend and, and and I love Mark Hamill for that. But I also am like, oh, no. Here we go again. <laughs> it's really hard because I just – I love my Star Wars and I want to talk about Star Wars and why I love Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And this tends to open up that uh, that faction of fans that did not like The Last Jedi and didn't like Luke's portrayal of that. And to everybody out there that feels that way, absolutely feel that way. Uh, I just want to have a good conversation about it. I don't want to be yelled at. That's it. I don't know. How do you feel? I think that's a fair
3: request. (laughs) So, yeah.
2: And uh, so I'm going to try to find some of these these comments, highlight a couple of them, and then we can go there. And uh, it all stems from this great article that was uh, shared, uh, Den of Geek, and they had this long raging interview with him in uh, to support his uh, his latest Nightfall or what is it again? It's – yeah, Nightfall, season two. He's going to be in it and he's playing tonight and how perfect is that? Um, and so one thing that he, he did bring up is that uh, after Bob Iger told The Hollywood Reporter last year that the schedule for Star Wars releases had been too densely packed – Hamill shares his view that he there were three years apart between movies, so there was a little bit more breathing room. Now there are only two years with a standalone each year. So it's like we get a Star Wars movie mm-hmm. every year. And he he told the ex- Disney executives, he said, really? Han Solo, five months after our movie? Give it a rest. And they said, but we have the, the release schedule, so we have to do that. And I'm like, OK. And this interview says some decisions of The Last Jedi and his character through Force Awakens and Last Jedi, still wrinkle, though, to use their words. He remains shocked by Han Solo's fate. He basically says, I just thought Luke's never going to see his best friend again. You look at it at a self-centered way. I'm kind of underlying that. You look at it at a self-centered way. I said that it was a big mistake that those three people would never reunite in any way, meaning Leia, Han, and Luke on screen again. I guess I was wrong because nobody seems to care. That is, I, that is not true. At all. I wish Mark Hamill.
3: It's so difficult to read into this because right? you could you could emphasize those sentences in so many different ways.
2: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, he goes on to say, uh, let me get back to that. Uh, I was wrong because nobody seems to care. I have to stipulate that I care, but it didn't really seem to affect the larger audience. And to that effect, I mean, 1.3 billion, 1.2 billion the last jet I made. We'll see. Luke, Han, and Leia will never be together again, and I'll probably never get to work with Harrison again. Then the second thing was is they killed me off. I thought, oh, okay, you should push my death off to the last one, meaning the last movie. That's what I was hoping when I came back, no cameos in a run of the trilogy contract. Did I get any of those things? Because as far as I'm concerned, the end of seven is really the beginning of eight. I got one movie. They totally hornswoggled, tricked me. Whoa. This mar- yeah.
3: Especially where that ends. I don't, yeah. I don't like the idea. You know, I don't necessarily know specifically what he means by being tricked. But yeah. if he was, let's say, promised something when he signed on the dotted line to commit to a new trilogy and then was given something that he didn't sign for.
2: Right. I can see that. That's a
3: different story.
2: Well, he said he's made his peace with unfulfilled expectations. He says, listen, I never expected to come back. We had a beginning, a middle and an end. That's the first trilogy. And what I said was why mess with that? It's not something that worries me because it's all about the new generation as it should be. So – and then he – and I'll paraphrase here. He said that one of the changes he made was that uh, he was just going to have to walk by 3PO at the end of uh, Last Jedi when we know he's going to go take on the First Order. And he was just going to walk by 3PO. And Mark Hamill said my character wouldn't do that. He would acknowledge C-3PO. And so Ryan Johnson said, great, do your thing. And he made that nice wink to 3PO. And Master Luke, and then he's off and to his destiny. So, okay, we'll stop there. Um, he goes on to talk about uh, the devastating blow about Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. He talked about how close they were, how she would love the fact that even three years after her passing, she's going to have a hit movie in theaters with episode nine. All of that is wonderful. But I want to talk about the idea of him being hornswoggled or tricked. And. Um,
3: What a word. I know. Hornswoggled. (laughs) I'm going to use that and someone's going to look at me like I'm nuts. (laughs) It's
2: something my dad would use for sure. He's like, I felt hornswoggled. It's like, (laughs) damn. All right. That's some old school kind of wording there. But what do you think about that, Perry? I mean do – I'll phrase it this way. Is he speaking for the fans that also feel hornswoggled? Because I I, I feel like he is.
3: I don't know. I mean – You know, this is just our interpretation of what he's saying. Neither Mm -hmm. of us know exactly what he meant for sure. But when you first started reading that quote, I started to look at it from a story perspective. And I started to look at him just assessing what happened to Luke as a fan. Yeah. Like, as, yes, the actor who played Luke, but also as a fan of the character himself and where he would have liked him to have gone and how he feels about his big conclusion. But then when you got to the end of it, it sounded more like behind-the-scenes drama. Yeah. Like, he was told... This was going to happen to Luke. You will be in whatever percentage of these next three movies, and then he was not given what he promised, or at least that is just how I interpreted it. Yeah,
2: and I understand. I I interpret it a little bit that way too. And I we're... think
3: that's reasonable, not necessarily rage, but I think if that was the scenario that he was describing here, that is a very reasonable reason to be upset.
2: Yeah, I I agree. And you know what? There is a there is a big part of me. Because I do remember a picture that came out. Um, somebody photoshopped it, and it was Han, Leia, and Luke together, and standing together in a in a clip in a in in a background that looked like um, the battle on Tokadana uh, Tok- in Force Awakens, where they moved Leia in there with Han, which we we know that scene happened after Maz's castle is attacked. But then they added Luke in there, and yeah, there was a part of me that that went. Uh, yeah, we're never going to see that. And that's the fan in me, but I'm also a fan of the movie, so I can feel both that's, sides of it.
3: That's like life, though, when yeah. I think about something like that. Yeah, I am in full agreement with both you and Mark Hamill that the thought of the three of them coming together would be really nice. But I don't know. I feel like in, you know, in some cases when when there's loss and that loss sucks— but you only really appreciate the good and and those f- and fantasy and dreams. They're yeah. so powerful because you can't necessarily have them. So it all goes hand in hand.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you know, I look at it from a story perspective, and there's a part of me that looks at it as story, and it's like tragic. And I look at it as the tragedy of the Skywalker family, in that he's been through so much. Luke has, and Leia has. Mm-hmm. Their father, obviously, they know, Dark Lord of the Sith, enslaved the the the, the whole galaxy under the puppeteer, the puppet master of of Darth Sidious. And then, you know, later on, they fix the galaxy, so to speak. He starts a new Jedi Academy. Leia goes off to become a general, marries Han. They have a kid. The kid's the next generation, Ben Solo. And then everything goes to shit. And he kills his father. Luke abandons everything, goes to the island of Octu, Leia stays and fights and is going builds the resistance. To me, that's a story very Shakespearean in its tragedy. Yeah, and, I mean, I take it that way, but I can totally understand another side of this as I'm, being you know I wanted that as as a fan.
3: This is why we get so many movies with happy endings. Right. It's because it feels good. You yeah. like it, and yeah. I I don't want to make a generalization with this comment, but I do tend to think that we get more depth in our characters and complexity when you complicate their scenarios a little more and characters don't walk off into the sunset together. And for me, that makes for a much more interesting storytelling experience, character building experience and – in trying to play it out as though this story for the three of them didn't have this tragic Shakespearean vibe. Mm-hmm. And if they were together the entire time, there are so many little nuances and extra details and layers to those characters that we never would have been able to touch on at all.
2: Right. I, I totally agree with that as well. It's, it's you know, because when you see, when it really hit me was in The Last Jedi, when Chewie comes in and Luke says, wait a minute where's Han? And that's what Mm -hmm. that's when the tragedy really hit is that he's never going to see his friend again, i.e. the audience is never going to see him standing next to Han Solo or Harrison Ford again. And he even says, I'll never probably never work with Harrison again. And so there's like this duality happening of the actor. And I and I'm going to say this, I feel like Mark Hamill is being a little bit and he says it for selfish reasons. He wants to work with one of the biggest movie stars in the world again in Harrison Ford. I have a theory. Do it.
3: So what if this is all a whole bunch of misdirection? <sighs> and what if they did get to work together and they're in some sort of, I don't know, like force ghost capacity, but they do come together in the afterlife?
2: You, you read my mind. This is where <laughs> I was actually going a little bit of that and a little bit of something else. Okay. What if – we don't know what's happening with Carrie Fisher and how her role is going to be mm-hmm. utilized in episode nine. What if – now <laughs> I'm stretching here and Fernandez would call me out on this because I have a rosy oh. – I'm looking through the rose-tinted glasses. But what if they're utilizing Carrie Fisher in in a way whether it's a hologram or something, old footage from Force Awakens and maybe Last Jedi to cut together? Well, we have footage of Harrison Ford in Force Awakens. hmm Um, I did hear a rumor completely. This is speculation, complete rumor. I don't even know where I saw it. I probably saw it on Twitter. I don't even know. But there was a rumor going that they were filming a flashback of Luke and Leia together. Now I'm wondering, could J.J. have something up his sleeve that we're going to see those three together somehow in episode nine
3: there is no doubt in my mind he has something up his sleeve yeah. and actually the more we talk about this and the more i think about his quotes the more i think mark hamill is bsing because we've we've seen him have you know that type of fun with the social media community before mm-hmm. where he'll like he'll string you along a little for the oh, heck yeah. of it yeah and i mean really what's the big deal it's, it's kind of playful and fun and it just builds anticipation and I don't know if that's the way it heads. I think that would be a really satisfying end to not only this trilogy, but their story, too, where, you know, we could have had this rocky, rich uh, ride for the three of them all throughout these three movies, but still land in a place that kind of... You know, lets you leave with your heart full and a little hope.
2: Yeah, I, and I think JJ, I, I, and we talked about this. I, I, I can, I can hopefully speak a little bit for Fernandez. He can correct me next show, but he believes that JJ is going to really, you know, try to not do fan service, but try to to give us, and a lot of the Star Wars fans, maybe something that we're that we've been missing. But I think mm-hmm. he, what I said is that JJ. Is a – he's a Star Wars guy and so I think he has the fans out there. I think he's listened. I think that maybe he's going to try to – again, not fan service and not retcon either. But do something that we don't know about yet that might give us something satisfying, as you're alluding to, Perry.
3: Yeah, every single time I picture what could come in Episode Nine, I just go back to Force Awakens for the most part. Force Awakens, to me, it fits so perfectly within the Star Wars mold. I mean, basically, that movie gave me almost everything that I ever would have expected from another Star Wars movie. Of course, with the addition of new characters, new places, that kind of... All filled out the world to make it feel fresh and different. And then, obviously, Last Jedi turned everything on its head. And either you liked that or you didn't. I was pleasantly surprised by all of it. But I think... And I actually think that could be a really successful vibe for a three-film trilogy, you know, to to start off where, you know, you kind of have your footing, but you lose it a little. Then everything is just pure chaos. And then the last thing is kind of taking all the lessons you learned and wrapping it up in a way that taps into everything that Han, Luke, and Leia learned their entire journey. Because I almost look at some of the new characters as mirroring the old. Absolutely. In a way, at least. I mean, it's not really a one-for-one one thing, but
2: no, but there's. I guess, I always mention the echoes in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. You know, that there are th- things and, – and George Lucas has always said there's rhyming in the universe. And I could see that. I mean, yeah, you can – have an there's amalgam. rhyming
3: in the real universe yeah, too yes, there right? is. I mean it's like there's... you know we're we're kind of a mirror image of what we learned from our parents and it's like the same thing where like you could say uh you could say Poe learned so much from Leia you could say Ray learned so much from Luke I don't really know if you could pair Finn and Han but y- you know what I'm getting at here
2: right but I see I see Ray as as she could be a, a Luke Leia kind of amalgam I can see Poe being a Han Solo kind of uh, you know thing. I can see Finn being a little bit of Luke, a little bit of Han, mm-hmm. you know, he wanted to run away from the first order. He wanted to run away and not get involved. That was Han Solo. So Finn, I see that. Poe, I see the brashness of and the fight. I will get in a in a X-wing and blow everything up just like Luke wanted to do when he was looking up in in, in the stars and wanted to get off this rock and go fight the rebellion. I I see it in this in these mm-hmm. new characters. So he did say though that Uh, Mark Hamill said my problem was I wasn't dealing with social media back when I said some of the things about Star Wars where you say something and it goes around the world in 24 hours. If I were to answer your question on paper, I would think, oh, that sounds a little strong or, oh, I shouldn't say this. But I have a tendency just to talk and talk and talk and you can cherry pick. You know, I will be reading something and say, what moron said this and then realize, oh, it's me. So Mark Hamill, to your point, Perry – I think is very aware that he talks and talks and talks and talks mm-hmm. and then later on as it comes back around as it made it through the internet machine and filtered and out and that's what the internet machine is is doing. While I love Mark Fernandez for, for pointing this article out, I did notice some of um, – some strong comments coming back and that's where I wonder if Mark Hamill looks at and goes, what moron said – oh, oh. And if he does or if he's just effing with us.
3: Uh, I mean, I think it's a little mix of both. I mean, you can apply that kind of thinking to any movie and any franchise out there. It's just a completely different ball game now that we have something like Twitter in the mix where one teeny tiny like I don't know, like even like a six word sentence can be so severely misconstrued and you know, blown completely out of proportion. Right, right. Like I wouldn't I would totally understand if someone in Mark Hamill's shoes was like I'm actually – I give him a little credit for being as forthcoming and outspoken as he is because mm-hmm. I feel like if I were in his position, I'd be, like, thinking about every single word before it dribbled out of my mouth. Oh, yeah.
2: And and I think he's just Mark Hamill, and that's what I love about him.
3: I feel like we already have to do that to a degree just with what our jobs are. We have to think about what we say before we say it. So I can't imagine if you kicked it up to that level oh, yeah. what that existence might be like.
2: I totally get it. Um, let me ask you this. Do you think – that they could, in this day and age, have brought on Harrison Ford to film some sort of cameo in episode nine, that would be a flashback. Yes. Yeah. I, Do you think it could happen?
3: I think it can happen. I'm not going to say it will happen. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe if I had to make a bet right now, I, I would i would put my money on Mark Hamill's comments being BS because he did work with Harrison again and yeah. because they did shoot a little something.
2: Oh, I love that. Yeah. I would love that and and listen Mark Hamill has made it known that he disagreed somewhat with Ryan Johnson in the direction of his mm-hmm. character but he was the 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 staunch thespian that he was he he pulled it through and I thought turned in one of the best performances I've seen him make in in 30 years. I mean, he was fantastic.
3: It's an Aside from his voice work. And, I, have. I can't even imagine how many actors out there might disagree with whatever path their character is on. I mean, maybe it's a different scenario for him because he had lived in that role for so many films. But
2: yeah, I, I think he has an ownership that is completely warranted. And I think he, he made he embraced it. And so he did go to the conventions. He mm-hmm. did speak to all the fans. He did love that character. And that character grew beyond the movies Uh into the eu because once luke skywalker traveled into some of the books that are no longer canon unfortunately Mm -hmm. um, luke skywalker became a very powerful jedi and a very uh, like a a model jedi that that others would want to look up to so i get it i get it i just hope that episode nine is um something that all star wars fans can get behind so there's the not factions yeah. of and pockets of people that...
3: I think that's my biggest ask at this point yeah. is all I really want. And you know what? I don't even think I care if it comes from Star Wars, it comes from DC, it comes from Marvel. I just want one, another movie that brings everybody together. And I know that it's a really tall order because what we preach all the time with reviews is you never have to agree with us if that's how you honestly feel. It's just about not going after people in a harsh way, but... Like I would just really love to see a major franchise blockbuster that is a true to its core crowd pleaser where all of a sudden it it somehow sparks like the reuniting of an entire fandom because it feels like almost every single fandom that I'm part of right now is fractured to a degree. And yeah. and it it hurts. Like yeah. it really does.
2: It it sucks. It does, yeah. Uh, I agree with that. I think Star Wars, DC, Marvel, those are the big ones. Um The fandoms within are fractured. The silver
3: lining to that, though, is the intensity that comes from every single movie that's released in those franchises is – like it it comes from a place of really caring. And even though there's no excuse to behave a certain way when you like or dislike a movie if it's hurting somebody else – The fact that it comes from a place of such pure passion that these franchises have earned over so many years, there's definitely something special about that. I just hope that the next wave of this is people figuring out how to channel those feelings in a way that's supportive and beneficial to the entire community instead of just, like, two different factions being like, well, you suck because you think that. and You suck because you don't think how I think.
2: Yeah, I've always said that. It's like I – you know never ever would want to change your opinion on every on anything on any movie i love having a discussion and a debate so if mm-hmm. you don't like it just come at me a little different
3: well that's the cool thing about how mark hamill is treating this mm-hmm. i mean he is voicing his honest opinion yeah. he didn't like the route that they took with his character but he doesn't seem to be doing it in a in a hateful way he's no. just simply being a human being and saying what he thinks and there's nothing wrong with that yeah that's a good point too cuz you're right. I don't if
2: this is not him. Like, there'd be if he came out and said, I effing hated what they did for Luke and I'm never going to be a part of this again mm-hmm. and I don't want to be in good riddance. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Exactly. He, he seems to know exactly where he stands with this and is trying to have fun and trying to and, and is being completely honest. But, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's just like the discourse we're finding online. It sucks. But, you know, we're here. If you want to Chat. Let's do it. Yeah. Like I, but again, don't come at me with "Hey, shithead." Maybe try like, "Hey, so I disagreed with your last statement," and blah 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 blah. But you know that Good we've we've talked about this all the time. Something else that uh, that occurred to me uh, that I found online. There is a there was a Twitter thread that uh, somebody alerted me to, and uh, this uh, this person is a writer, photographer, cat entertainer. You'd like that, Perry? Uh, and uh goes by the handle of at @jeremy and that is @jera7me and he
3: wrote this really There's a duck there. You're not a, giving the duck Oh, its and credit. the duck, and the duck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why the duck translates to a seven I, unless it's some in joke that I'm not aware of. I know, to. I missed
2: the duck. I'm just going by the Twitter handle, but they kind of went into this deep dive on on the EU and uh and looking at it uh how it might have affected some of the fandom moving forward from that EU. And I thought it was very fascinating and I wanted to kind of talk about it. It was something I was going to bring to Fernandez's attention. I still am going to do that because I want to get his – not only his take on Mark Hamill but Mm -hmm. on this as well. He starts off by saying, It's long been my contention that the old Star Wars expanded universe was seen by many fans as a way to fix the perceived problems of the movies as they aged out of impressionable childhood. And into nitpicky adolescence, reaction to the last Jedi have cemented that impression now let me let me um, preface this by uh, i 'm not throwing a grenade out there for for anybody that didn 't like the last jedi I'm, I'm merely bringing this up because again, I like conversations that see both sides mm-hmm. and see if we can 't you know have a wonderful conversation about Star Wars in the meantime. So he, f- he first says the original trilogy was cool a lot of the time, but it was also goofy, cutesy, jokesy, silly, kiddy. A lot of the things that's hard for a 14-year-old to admit to liking. The EU leaned heavily on the cool, bounty hunters, dark side force users brooding, mm. and dropped the goofy. That's interesting. I remember – did you read any of the old, like, the Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn? Did you get into I that when you were younger? Sh-
3: I had started one of the Thrawn books, and then I almost uh, – I got like halfway through Plagueis, I think. Oh, yeah. Plagueis is EU. Yeah, Plagueis I was, is EU. And I was really liking it, and I feel like I might have put it down because one of the novelizations had come out, and that's time we were still doing book reviews. So mm-hmm. I haven't dug into the EU as much as I should. Yeah. But, you know, based on talking to you and fans out there, a lot of those stories I think would, would – pique my interest and kind of suit my star wars taste quite a bit yeah
2: there are i mean there are definitely some some books in the eu that i i couldn't ever get to because we hit a point with the eu that there was like there seemed to be so many books and like so many like jedi academy and there's like more that's like
3: canon right now it's like i was doing so well keeping up with those books for so long and then all of a sudden it just spiraled out of control yeah
2: and that and that's kind of what happened with the eu but the ones that stand out to me are darth Plagueis, like you mentioned. Uh, Path of Destruction, Darth Bane, uh, and then the sequel, Rule of Two. That was about the Sith warriors, the Sith army, and Darth Bane basically Mm. creating the Rule of Two. Um, And that story, that's a fantastic one. The Thrawn trilogy, which came out uh, in the 90s before the prequels, but it was like the first real, like, here's a sequel to Return of the Jedi, and I ate that up, and it was very, very good. And then another one I always mention is Dark Empire, which is a Dark Horse comic, and Luke Skywalker falls to the dark side in that. So for all the the Luke people out there, they're like, "Ah, oh, my Luke wouldn't do this. And it's like, well, he fell to the dark side in this, and it is fascinating, and I love it. And uh, so I highly recommend those. But uh, Jeremy goes on and says the EU and to some degree the prequels affected the way hardcore Star Wars fans received the movies, allowing them to continue liking Star Wars while growing beyond the pulpy, goofy fairy tale parts of the movies the EU either – the EU either retconned them outright or let fans allied them. George killed off Boba Fett, the emblem of cool Star Wars, with an accidental death and burp joke. The EU resurrected him and gave him all the bad boy adventures and a, bat- and a backstory of adolescent kid could want. See, example, Phasma. What do you think of that? I find that interesting.
3: This whole thing is kind of fascinating yeah. because he does have a point here. hmm He has a point. I don't think you can necessarily reduce it to this is the answer. This is why things have evolved specifically. But the idea of appreciating more childish types of uh, storytelling and then growing up and, you know, growing up in your eye naturally going for more details that you want to explain away and wanting the cool thing, it, it all makes sense. I do also think that, particularly nowadays, the extreme attention to detail is largely because of. Like these things, Mm -hmm. the fact that we have DVDs where we can examine every single frame versus like an old school VHS tape, if not format before, where it was a little more difficult to scrub through things. So, yeah, I think that there's a combination of the fandom growing up. Mm-hmm. But also with the change of technology, the changing distribution methods, the changing uh, amount of franchises we have out there—it's it's all a big uh, yeah, a big mishmash of things that are affecting our Star Wars movies overall.
2: Just, here's a perfect example of one that I used technology, and then I fanned out and I became this guy because when the Force Awakens Super Bowl, not Super Bowl, there was a trailer that came out, um, and it was on the Monday Night Football, and. As they're walking to Maz's castle, I noticed something in the trailer, and I paused it, and I rewound Mm -hmm. it, and I paused it, and I rewound it, and I paused it, and I rewound it, and there was the flag hanging, and it was Boba Fett's symbol. And I went, they're bringing Boba Fett back. Who's (laughs) Force Awakens going to have Boba Fett? I lost my mind, and I geeked out, and – I feel like I was doing a little bit of this. The EU resurrects yeah. B- Boba Fett and makes him a bad boy, and I'm here. I am an adolescent kid again during that trailer, pausing, going back, and to your point, Perry, like looking at this frame over and over There's again. There
3: is nothing wrong with any of this. Yeah. This is a sign of a genius franchise. Yes, there are occasions where you spot something like that. It doesn't play out exactly the way you thought.
2: Yep, no Boba Fett and Force Awakens.
3: So, you know, <laughs> you might be a little bummed about that, but the fact that a franchise in a creative world like this has those kinds of results, I mean, yeah. that's why it's, it's still alive and thriving today. I
2: think so. So Jeremy continues... What little force training George showed us was pretty woo-woo stuff, all about trusting your feelings and reaching out. What teenage boy wants to think about that? (laughs) The EU gave them lightsaber forms, Jedi academies, plenty of formal training. See Rey as a Mary Sue. And I find that, again, interesting that the EU was starting to flesh out the Jedi training, whether it's Jedi academies, more details, Jedi fighting methods and whatnot. And again, I look at it. As simply as this, we have a two-hour movie to get through a lot. So if you look at – I want to take the Ray Mary Sue argument out of it yeah, because I, I find it kind of ridiculous.
3: I don't that, – that's the one thing thus far that I am not computing.
2: I think he's – what he's saying here is that in the EU we have a lot of dedicated material to – um Learning the ways of the Force in different ways, whereas I'm using the example of Luke on Dagobah. Mm-hmm. Trust in your feelings, and then you know, raise the the X-wing out of the uh, out of the bog. I can't do it; it's too big. The biggest lesson: size matters not. Look at me; judge me by your size, do you? You know, and then Yoda shows him: doesn't matter. I'm a I'm a small, weird little creature, and using my mind, I'm going to raise that thing. It's all up here. I love that, um, but I think. Part of the Mary Sue argument with Ray is that we didn't see her train enough. Why is she this great? And he's saying the EU gave a lot of detail to that. And maybe in uh, another book somewhere, maybe down the line, we'll see the, the, the adventures we didn't see with Ray, some more detail with Luke. I would mm-hmm. love that just to get a little bit deeper, but I kind of understand.
3: I mean, you know me well enough to know that I I like things explained away. I like to have, you know, a a dictionary or an encyclopedia Mm -hmm. or some sort of handbook to go to and say, "This is the specific reason this happens." But it's like uh, it's like in movies when you don't have to necessarily show a character walk out the door, close the door behind them. Yes. You can cut right before and it just infers that that person left the room. Right. So it's like when I and you know, I know people are going to disagree with this, but when I look at Ray and her training in particular, I have always viewed that character as that power always having been within her. Mm -hmm. And I find that, especially given her upbringing, she is just a very intuitive person. She is a a go-getter. She has trained herself in many ways in many different capacities. So the fact that she was able to channel that and learn certain things quickly with a limited amount of time with Luke... That just always naturally made sense based yeah. on what they had shown me that that character was capable of before. Yeah. And I, I mean that genuinely. I'm not just trying to pick apart this argument. It's it's honestly something that never really crossed my mind. And that's coming from the brain of someone who likes logical reasons for almost everything.
2: Yeah. And I, I looked at it as that she was dropped on a desert planet as a child and then she had to make her way. She became a scavenger. She was, you know, rummaging around ships. She worked for Unkar Plot. Who, um, you know, had a bunch of ships in his yard. She even says to Finn as they're running from the First Order, we're taking that ship. He's Mm -hmm. like, we need a pilot. She's like, you got one. It's inferred that she would be good enough to fly something. And then when she finds the Millennium Falcon, she stumbles a bit until she figures it out. Exactly. the, re- the reason she can fight is because she's been on this desert planet. And how many times do you think Ray would have had to get in a scuffle over somebody wanting a piece of junk from her? I think quite a bit. Yeah. And we saw that with her staff. We, JJ even makes a joke about that by saying Finn's going to come in on his white horse and save her. And she keeps saving him and going, get off me. I just I just bought it.
3: I love that bit where he tries to hold her hand. Oh, yeah. That's She's funny. Like, what are you doing? Every, every freaking time I watch it. <laughs>
2: but I just looked at her surroundings that she had enough of the training then something inherent in her, the yeah. force, kind of helped that. But if you're a believer in the Mary Sue argument More power to you. Think about
3: it with like anything natural that we do today. It's like if you're a natural athlete or musician. Right. Sometimes it just comes to you. And like, yeah, someone who it doesn't come to as easily might not be able to explain why you could do what you do. But if it's it's a feeling and if it's natural to you, and that's always how I viewed it with her.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, So he kind of goes on and I want to like hit some of these things. Uh, Many of the complaints about The Last Jedi appear to be coming from people who have conditioned – And predicted their enjoyment of uh, 4, 5, and 6 with massive EU injections as though inoculating themselves against pulp. It leaves them ill-equipped to enjoy movies in the mold of the original trilogy. He goes on. We don't get a backstory or a name for Palpatine in the originals. See Snoke. But someone said today that was a different time. Storytelling has changed. No, storytelling is the same. You've just internalized a zillion EU books and three prequels to allow yourself to like it. I made this point. At one point that when we met the Emperor the first time in Empire Strikes Back. He was mentioned in A New Hope. We saw him for the first time in Empire Strikes Back and they got a fully formed character in Ian McDiarmid's The Emperor and mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi. We knew nothing about him. We knew that he was just Darth Vader's boss, boss of the universe, shows up to overlook – the, the the plans of the second Death Star and we didn't get a lot of backstory. Then the EU filled in a lot of blanks, Darth Plagueis being one of them. Great book for that. And then the prequels, of course, really went into what mm-hmm. he did and the puppet master and all that kind of stuff. So I find that interesting. Maybe years from now we'll get a Snoke book. We'll get some prequels to the sequels. Probably not. But I understand what he's trying to say here. And yeah. if yeah uh then he so what what do you th- what are your thoughts on that
3: um uh, I had a thought about what you were saying. oh i mean in in assessing the growth of a franchise too, I also think that part of the reason why we wound up with certain things in, let's say, the prequels, is the same challenge that's posed to any franchise out there. Mm -hmm. The second you establish this, this, and this, if you want to continue it, you have to do something slightly different. Right. And I think that's just naturally where the creative brain automatically went versus versus necessarily attributing it to... Attributing it to as Star Wars fans get older and their taste changes, if that makes much sense. Yeah, I think so. I just... I don't know. And this is just my like my gut feeling. I don't necessarily think, you know, George Lucas was, like, gauging the temperature of the room and then right. and, and, and assessing uh, his viewers' taste. I think it was just a matter of, like, this is the foundation of what I had at the beginning. Here's a little offshoot of an idea that I want to explore. And things kind of grew out of that.
2: Yeah. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, when it comes to Snoke in general, yeah, I have some notes. I think I would want to know a little bit more of Snoke. However... And I don't think they're doing this. I was hoping Snoke would be Plagueis so it would wrap the prequels in. But that didn't turn out to be. So in turn, I loved the idea that Snoke was a nobody in the story and that it was all about Kylo Ren Uh usurping his master. Classic Sith move. Destroys his master and asks Rey to join him to take over the galaxy. And I love that Ryan Johnson said, yeah, that Snoke guy – doesn't matter. That was subverting my expectations because it shocked me and it became one of my favorite moments in all of Star Wars was that moment in the throne room when he offed Snoke. It was consistent with his character and it shocked the hell out of me.
3: Yeah, that shocked the hell out of me and it shocked the hell out of me in a good way. I like those kinds of surprises. But going back to something else Jeremy wrote here where he goes, um, storytelling's the same. You've just internalized a zillion EU books and three prequels to allow yourself to like it. There's a little bit of truth in that that I experienced recently. I don't know Mm. if I told you this, but I started watching Umbrella Academy on Netflix, and I got to episode four, and I'm like, I don't really like it. And for a reason that I can't even explain right now, Mm -hmm. I continued watching it, and it... It hit the point where I felt obligated to finish it, and by the time I did finish it, by the time I spent nearly 10 hours with the show, it had grown on me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what he might be getting at here. Mm-hmm. When you're so steeped in material like that, maybe the material doesn't even necessarily earn your 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 passion, your investment, because I don't even think that Umbrella Academy, for example, did that for me,
0: mm-hmm.
3: but I think it's because I spent so much time in that world with these characters that it's almost like a natural human reaction to kind of spark some sort of connection and investment in them that mm-hmm. by the time you leave, you're, you're sad to say goodbye without the show actually earning it, if that makes any sense. It makes but sense, yeah. I, I suspect that's what he's getting at by saying, you know, the backbone of the original trilogies and the – if you've read a zillion EU books, mm-hmm. that's something that you can't necessarily separate from how you view the other films.
2: Right. And if we look at the character of Snoke, I think Snoke was a template for the Emperor. In, in, in ways that it was like some kind of master controlling uh, uh, an apprentice on the evil side. So I think people maybe were looking at Snoke to have – we were going to get a little bit of backstory like Allah an Emperor. Mm-hmm. And we were conditioned to believe that, wait a minute, if Star Wars is Echoes, Kylo Ren is an Echo of Darth Vader. Um, Rey, as we mentioned up top could be an amalgam or echo of Luke mm-hmm. um, Finn could be Han Solo Poe could be whatever you what I'm that's what I'm trying to say but then with the Emperor if we take the prequels out of it and the EU books out of it the Emperor at the end of the day was thrown off a bridge and died and we wouldn't have known anything if George Lucas never decided to go back to the prequels that's where it stood so now with Snoke he was off by Kylo Ren Where do we go from here? Nowhere. Do we learn anything in in Episode 9? I think we will. Again, I think J.J. is going to come in and and, and probably do something. I
3: think we will too. And I go back to what you were saying before where I don't think retconning is going to be a thing. Yeah, I think he is going to basically use Last Jedi and certain things that happened as a stepping stone Mm -hmm. to bring it back to what he started or at least what he started with this trilogy with Mm -hmm. The Force Awakens and it's going to – it's going to natch all these like crazy twists and turns that either you liked or you didn't like. They're naturally going to wind up feeling right in this franchise. I really do. I mean, hopefully, you know, my faith isn't misplaced, but I really do believe in JJ because I still will never get over that feeling of watching force awakens for the, for the very, very first time. Yeah. Like I was, you know, I'm a big star Wars kid growing up. I used to love it. I went with my dad to see all the prequels in the theaters. It was such a big deal, but I don't think I ever expected all of that to come flooding in and just overwhelm me the way it did that first screening.
2: Same, it, it just hit me in the feels it just and
3: reinvigorated not just like the fan in me, but it it, it basically sparked a brand new wave of, of obsession. Yeah,
2: me too. And it was just I I fell in love with Ray and Finn and Poe and and Han. I just adored in this movie yeah. and Chewie and. And then my favorite character in the in the sequel trilogy is Kylo Ren. Like I have just absolutely fallen in love with that character. The complexity, how tortured he is. I saw a tweet the other day. You know, uh, somebody was like, you know, people are upset that there's like this Skywalker trilogy. There's no Skywalker, and it's not about it's not Ray. It's a Skywalker. And somebody put a gif of Kylo Ren and said, "Here's your Skywalker." And I'm like, yeah. It's the mirror image. It's the dark image right now. We're we're dealing with a Skywalker that has fallen to the dark mm-hmm. side um, and uh, we're going to see what happens mm-hmm. and, and I think Snoke might be a part of that in that we're going to get a little bit of backstory where it may be why, yeah. but then I think it's going to be very small and we're going to move on. Um, I want to get your opinion on this, Perry. So he goes on and says, and of course, the Luke of the EU was canonized. Put on a shelf where he was never allowed to make mistakes, and we've seen how difficult it's been for some hardcore fans to accept a flawed elder Luke. Han shoves Luke into a Tauntaun's guts, but milking a critter is undignified. So they're going to that Last Jedi part where it's like – I personally think it's a little different. I don't necessarily agree with this because I can see why some people are like, oh, he's drinking this milk and it's weird and then likening it to Han stuffing him in a Tauntaun. That was a little bit survival. Yeah. So was this. I Luke's surviving. But I didn't b- read
3: them the same way. I didn't
2: read them the same way I didn't read them either. the
3: same way and I, I think, you know, did I find the milking scene pleasant? No, I didn't. But it did make his lifestyle in that, you know, in a in a more wild uh, place yeah. feel more real to me because of course he'd have to do stuff like that.
2: Of course he'd have to do that stuff. But this – I also got Shades of Yoda on Dagobah. He was already testing Ray. He was going like, oh, really? You want to do this? You want to be a Jedi? This is where I've ended up, milking this beast and drinking it. (laughs) (coughs) You really want this, Ray? I mean I was getting that from him. Um, Of course you could disagree with me and say, no, 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 you're wrong. Luke wouldn't have never done that, but – I liked it. Um, Moving on, he said the people making the new movies are studying the way – this is where I start to really love this. People making the new movies are studying the way George made movies, what he was trying to say, and they're being so faithful to his anti-fan service pulp aesthetic that they're running into friction with fans of the EU, which was all fan service and fixing George's ideas. Mm -hmm. I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here plenty of people including – Pablo Hidalgo loved both the EU and the new movies. Same here. I'm talking about the fans who let the EU nudge them away from what they loved in the original trilogy in the first mm. place. I love the original trilogy in large in large part because of what some people are calling flaws: improbable pulp technology, goofy humor, a force that resists RPG-style rules, rubber puppets. The new movies going to that well. It, Sorry, the new movie's going to that well is my jam, but I kind of get why some fans have a hard time. Same with me. What some call the Leia Poppin scene is the crystallization of my aesthetic. Bizarre, beautiful, improbable, unexpected. It's perfectly pulp, perfectly carry, a demonstration of the power held by the daughter of Vader, but it's like nails on a chalkboard to the EU aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I hope fans rally around The Last Jedi the way most of us grew to appreciate The Empire Strikes Back. Time and home video and episode 9 will help. But I suspect that a lot of folks will need to unlearn what they have learned. That's it in general. I'm going to end it there so I don't have to keep reading. But –
3: That is a really thoughtful assessment. And obviously I can't speak too deeply about it, not having experienced the EU to the extent that Jeremy and other people out there likely have. But Mm – this is a very, very thoughtful comparison, and I think this this type of comparison can be applied to anybody out there in a variety of different ways, whether you're familiar with the EU or not, or whether you're a huge fan of, let's say, XYZ franchise, mm-hmm. and just you, your brain being conditioned to those, jumping into Star Wars, let's say, doing something different, and then that throwing you off, that kind of applies the same thought process there. But, yeah. you know, bringing up the Leia Poppins scene, I... As much as I loved The Last Jedi, many things in it, that was one thing that no matter how many times I watched it, it never sat right for me. Mm. And I've thought about it often. And if I had to blame one specific thing, why it didn't work, it was specifically the movement there. Mm. There was something about it that didn't feel natural and human. And even when I say, oh, it's not natural and human, I mean, is almost anything that these characters are able to do right. so it almost feels like a poor argument on my part but i think with a moment like that more so than anything and i guess this what this also goes back to what he was saying about just the vibe of the eu and the aesthetic there it was the visual there that mm-hmm. didn't work she was not moving quite like everything else had moved right and i think that immediately kind of that that kind of, like, pulls you out of the, the flow and the style, if yeah. that makes much sense.
2: I, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, it makes complete sense in that the way she moves Mary Poppins. I get it. All of a sudden, it was this weird kind of like she's kind of drifting. And I'll tell you this. When I first saw it in the theater, the very first time, I lost my ever-loving mind. I know. I remember. In, I was there. In a good way. <laughs> I was – I had full body chills. I was like – I think I was making weird noises.
3: It's weird that I vividly remember how you, of all the people we were with, reacted. <laughs>
2: yeah. And people were looking at me like, stop it, stop it. Because there were a ton of people in the audience where I was like, "Ooh, that's not working. Yeah. But it got me in the feels. And I, and I read this in particular and I put on – I'm such a nerd. I put on the music from this scene. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering if John Williams didn't get me with the music and bring me all the way in as a true collaborator of film can do in that he used the, the music to enhance the scene because that music kicked in
3: yeah.
2: Um, and I just was all in on it but I can step outside my body for a bit and this I think this is like one of the first time yeah I think I knew this but it's like you're refreshing my yeah. memory and I totally get it that moment is weird rightly so <laughs>
3: (laughs) And, you know, digging more into Jeremy's argument and applying it to, let's say, the EU leading up to Last Jedi, you could also just look at it from a single movie perspective, because this is basically what pacing and flow and world building and atmosphere all comes down to is you can earn a moment like that in a movie all on its own. And I'm not going to say that I have the solution with what they needed to do in the minutes prior in order for that to feel right. But Mm -hmm. in everything that I had gotten leading up to that specific moment... It's a jarring sensation that, oh, like that doesn't feel like all of that. And sometimes you can pull that off and there's teeny tiny tweaks you can do to make that work. But in this case, it was almost like there was like a beat of the of the pace that got like thrown off in that moment for me.
2: No, I get it. And I've heard. I've heard like Christian said I would have done it differently. I would have put her like in a closed room and like maybe something fell on her and she used the force or a lot of different things. I'm sure a lot of people in their head canon will do something mm-hmm. different to each their own. It worked for me. I did go back after reading this comment, play the music and wonder aloud. Did John Williams manipulate my emotions by with this beautiful music?
3: Totally possible. I believe maybe.
2: it. Maybe he did.
3: He manipulates, you know, my song. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Every every time. Yeah. Every time I cry. Yeah. And it's it's definitely the score. I think the visuals in both movies, when that score kicks in, they're great. They're beautiful, stunning. It is something about his score.
2: Yeah. His (laughs) score is one of the best. But I found this very interesting. I found it um, a, a discussion worthy of having because the EU was around for many, 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 many years. And especially if you go to Luke. I bring up Dark Empire again because this is what's interesting. It's the Dark Horse run. You can get it in paperback, I'm sure. There's two volumes. There's one, part one, and part two. And in that, uh, I'm going to spoil it just a smidge, Um, the Emperor does come back. The Emperor cloned his body, and he force jumps into each body when the body withers Mm. down. Now, I wonder how that would work with fans, but here's my point of Luke Skywalker is that – he says, in a great subversion of, of the expectations that Ryan Johnson did, at least for me, he says, "What do you expect me to get my laser sword and go face the fir- first order head on?" He does do that at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. but the template is in Dark Empire. Um, it picks up almost immediately after the events of Return of the Jedi, and the uh, the rebellion has now pushed the empire across the galaxy they're all in shatters and tatters and they're they're all over but there's a big battle happening on a planet and it's like straight out of it's like if hoth met endor it's like the walkers are everywhere it's like the big adats are everywhere yeah. and it's like kind of like a forest planet and the rebels are like pinned down and they're firing on i think like four or five adats and luke skywalker walks out of this cave where han lando Leia, Chewie, the droids are, and they're like, oh, there's Luke. And Luke just walks right by them, goes right in front of these five walkers, and they all fire on him at the same time. And he pulls his lightsaber and blocks them all and then uses the force to pull them all down. And I'm like, in the comic, I'm like, yeah, Luke. Yeah. But that was an EU Mm -hmm. in particular moment that I think everybody wanted to see in the live action movies. And what I still don't understand about The Last Jedi is that we got that. But then he did something even different, something that was brought up and and Ryan Johnson showed was it was something in the text that that Luke had learned force projection and that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. But that's just me. But the conversation really is about if the EU kind of – gave us unfair expectations going into this sequel trilogy. It's
3: the nature of being a human being. Yeah. You can point a finger at the EU. You can point a finger at something that happened to you yesterday. Right. Every single thing we experience is going to color how we feel about a movie. Yeah. There is no avoiding that.
2: There is no avoiding that. And there's that.
3: nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That's why you could not like a movie one day, watch it a year later after you've gained more life experience, and have it hit you in a completely different way. That's Beauty of this. I love I, it. <laughs> that's
2: why I love movies. And I think that's a very positive way to go out of episode 30 of Rule of Two. And I'm going to put it out there to you guys. Mark Fernandez will be back. I'm going to touch on this a little bit with him because I think he, he's probably going to have his thoughts that I definitely want to hear. What are you thinking? Drop in those comments here. We're on Collider Videos, uh, main YouTube channel. Uh, every Tuesday, you're going to get uh, your Rule of Two on the Jedi Council Podcast One feed. Please subscribe, like this, share this with your friends. Leave us some comments. Let us know what you think. But what do you think of the EU? Do you think it kind of gave you, us, Star Wars fans in general, some unfair expectations? Do you think we just wanted the EU to play out on screen or what? I want to know. I like this conversation. I thought it was interesting. Hats off to Jeremy. Um, Mm -hmm. Though you may disagree – I think his – what he wrote here is well thought out. It's well written. It's well researched. It's well – it's just well thought out. And so at Jeremy, J-E-R-E-7-M-Y. That's his Twitter handle. Thank you very much. You don't follow me. I follow you now. And I thank you for this. I I really enjoyed this read and thought it was a great conversation. So, Perry, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. This
3: is so much. I freaking love this show. It's just so nice to sit in this room and just be like, we're going to talk about Star Wars and know next to nothing about where the conversation is going to go. Right. Like, especially when we talk about something specifically like this that challenges me to look at something from a new perspective. Yeah. Always open for that.
2: I love it. Thank you for joining me. That's Rula 2, really. I mean, that's we like to just talk Star Wars and have conversations. And I think everybody watching or listening right now, you want to do the same. So thank you for tuning in. That's episode 30 of. Rule of Two here on Jedi Council's Podcast One feed and on Collider Video's main YouTube channel. Dropping every Tuesday. Mark Fernandez will be back next week. You can tweet at him, at Mark Fernandez. Tweet at me, at RileyAround. Or tweet at Perry, at P PNemeroff. Yep. There it is. And uh, for Perry and me, Rule of Two, Episode
1: 30 in the books. We'll see you next week. <gasps> Rise.